Welcome to the Wesley Memorial Podcast. Join us this Sunday at 1225 Chestnut Drive in High Point. Visit us on the web at wesleymemorial.org. Now here is this week's message. Starting a new series called uh, Empty and Filled, and um, rediscovering the the power and the purpose of Lent. And we're going to explore this biblical concept that, on the surface, may look sort of counterintuitive and strange. This idea of being empty in order to be full, but to see that this historic Christian practice has a lot of weight to it, and it makes a lot of sense in many ways. Um, now, when you come into Lent, especially if you're a Christian, and you practice Lent. The question always starts out with, um, so what are you going to give up, right? Um, so what are some of y'all going to give up this Lenten season? Fried food. Fried food. Oh, that's good. That's good. Tonic water. Tonic water? That's good. Like, I would have put money that no one was going to say that. Broccoli? Well, that's an easy one. I like, might as well say liver and onions. You know, like Netflix, chocolate, uh, dare I say caffeine? That's a tough one. Um, whatever it is, a meal here and there, you know, you give these certain things up. I saw online this week someone said, I'm going to give up talking to my coworkers for Lent. And I thought, that's a good thing for you or your coworkers. I don't know. So one person said for Lent, I'm just going to give up. Well... Don't do that. Don't, don't give up. Don't just give up. Um, but the temptation of Lent is that you can start to look at the practice of fasting on an external level only. And Lent becomes about the thing that you gave up. It's about the what of the experience and not necessarily the why. We can forget that when we feel that pinprick of temptation to say, you know, I really would like a tonic water right now. <laughs> whatever. When we feel that, we forget that we should leverage that as a reminder to pray. When the, st- when the stomach grumbles, it's a reminder to draw near, to seek, to get closer. That's the, you're leveraging your weaknesses as your strengths. Isn't that beautiful? So that when you're fasting, whatever the thing is, that we should leverage those things and those reminders to, to, to enhance our prayer life and to, to empty ourselves so that we're more full of God. But we can forget that. It can become about the what and not necessarily about the why. Now, if you're someone who's listening to this and um, maybe you're not particularly religious or you're kind of seeking, and that's great. We're actually, it's really good, actually. Um, but you can hear this talk about empty and filled and fasting and being, you know, it, it, it can almost sound like a lot of religious hooey, you know? Hooey is a, is a deep theological term. It's a Greek word that means hooey. <laughs> um, but it can sound like a bunch of nonsense. And when you look out on the, on the surface, it does. It seems kind of silly. There's, there's things about the church that just look ridiculous to the culture around us. Even Paul said the cross of Christ is foolishness to those who are perishing. But just because it's strange doesn't mean it's wrong. And on the surface, it looks strange. When we say like, the idea of abstinence, the idea of of only of holding back, of self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, by the way. And if, if you look like just on the carnal, physical, external side of it, then yeah, it looks weird. 
But if you remember the why, the underneath of it, it makes a lot of sense. Being empty to be full. That if you, if you look at that in, in light of everything Jesus taught, it makes sense. That upside down view of, of reality, the kingdom of God first way. Like when Jesus says things like, lose your life to find your life. Or uh, when you give, you'll receive. Or turn the other cheek and then you love your enemy. Or the poor inherit the kingdom of God. Or those who are last will be first. You can go on and on. There's this counterintuitive thing to us on earth that seems strange. But if the kingdom of God, the unseen spiritual kingdom of God, is the real world, which it is, then wouldn't it make sense that this is what truth looks like? That when you're saying, I'm going to be empty in order to be full of God, to gain more of Him. But that Lent is not about the what. It's about the why. Why are you doing it? For yourself? How it makes you look? Are you doing it so that you empty of yourself, so that you can have more of God in your life? You do it because you love Jesus. Now, if you search the internet, there's plenty of articles on really well-known websites that I found headlines this week of um, using Lent in like a self-help kind of way with things like nutritionist-approved foods to give up for Lent in order to get healthy, work habits to give up that hurt your productivity during Lent, um, how people use Lent to improve themselves after they fail at New Year's resolutions. <laughs> right? And it's like, that's fine. It's all fine. But it's like you're missing the point. It's not about personal fulfillment. It's not about making it about you. It's about making it about Jesus, about exalting him above yourself and letting his strength be your weakness. So the what doesn't matter. It's the why, the heart behind it. Because the Lord sees the heart. He sees the unseen. He sees all of that. He sees the motivation. He sees what the reason we're doing it for. So I have three, well, there's lots of reasons why fasting and, and prayer is a good idea all the time, not just during Lent. But um, I thought of three because preachers like, we like one point or we like three points. If you go over three, you're going to lose people uh, with, with, good, with good reason. Um, but I have three points of why, why I think biblically it's a good idea of fasting. The first one of why is to produce humble obedience. That, that, that fasting doesn't make us necessarily um, right with God, but that it can actually do more to develop a spirit of humble obedience in us. When I was in college, there's a ministry called Passion Conferences. They're still together. They minister to young adults and college students. Now, they just sold out the Mercedes-Benz Dome in Atlanta on New Year's. I mean, 60,000 18 to 22-year-olds. It's pretty incredible. So, so they're still doing all this ministry with young adults. And I was involved with it on my campus um, about 20 years ago. And they had a day where they called uh, all the college students to prayer and fasting for a day. Now, I'm 21 years old. I've never fasted in my life. And so I, I was like, yeah, I'll do it, sure. So breakfast and lunch, not a problem. Dinner time gets really hard. <laughs> it gets really tough about that time. But I was going to stick with it. I sat in the dining hall with some friends. I don't recommend going in the dining hall when you're fasting. <laughs> it's like, don't go to Costco when you're hungry. Like, you know, don't. But anyway, so I'm sitting there and I'm having some tea or something. And some of my other people that aren't fasting, they're eating around me. And... And um, one of them was some other guy 
was like, hey, why aren't you guys eating? And, and someone said, oh, there were some of those Christians. They're fasting for the day, you know. And I remember thinking, I feel like a minor Christian celebrity. <laughs> I feel pretty proud of myself right now. And I kind of missed the point that the purpose of it was about developing within me a humble, um, a bit more of a, of a humility, you know, and you're young and it's okay, but Jesus actually taught on this idea of, of the, the, the type of prayer that God actually hears, and it's in Luke 18. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, a religious leader, and the other a tax collector, just a notorious sinner. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven. He was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will uh, be exalted. He, Jesus is saying, God doesn't even care if you fast, if the heart behind it is wrong. He cares about your heart. See, he's saying that fasting is unprofitable if it's a, is not accompanied by humility and obedience. It's, it's, it's like fasting and prayer is like a medicine. And a medicine, no matter how good it is, will not be beneficial if it's not used in, the, in unskilled hands. Both men in the story have the medicine, but only one of them uses it in the right way. God can see through the charade, the religious hoops, and he sees the heart of the person that's praying. See, the Pharisee thinks that it's his obedience that leads to his salvation. In the outcast sinner like you and me, he realizes that his obedience flows from his salvation and his humility before God. God knows your heart. You and I can't fool God. Even Jesus says when you pray, when you fast, go by yourself, shut the door in secret, and your Father in heaven who sees in secret will reward you. He sees your heart. So the second why of fasting would be fasting shows our need for grace. And what I mean by this is it's almost sometimes when we, when we fast and we pray, you quickly see your dependencies, the things that you've been depending on other than God. They come up very quickly, whatever that is. Because when you're away from it, you know, absence makes the heart grow fonder idea. And you begin to see, I've been dependent on this and this, and not you, Lord. And it's a mirror with what you see yourself. The actor and director Mel Gibson, um, who famously created the Passion of the Christ, a hugely successful movie about 16 years ago, then he had a really big fall from grace where he got drunk in public and he was doing all these anti-Semitic things and very bizarre. And he publicly apologized and said, I'm sorry for all of this. Um, but then he got blackballed by Hollywood and didn't work for a long time. And blacklisted. And then about 10 years ago, Robert Downey Jr., the man who plays Iron Man and all these big movies, he got up in the front of the Golden Globes and, and said to all those gathered there, he's like, look, we need to forgive Mel Gibson. 
and just move on. He's apologized. We need, to, we need to forgive him because Mel gave me a job when I was strung out in heroin and drunk all the time, and he gave me work. And we need to show him the same grace that he showed me because if any of you are without sin, uh, throw the first stone. And in Hollywood, all you got sin, right? <laughs> You're in the wrong business. So... Because here's, here's what Mel Gibson taught me, he said. Mel Gibson said to me, you've got to hug the cactus, he calls it. Where you embrace the thing that you're most ashamed of. And look it square in the eye in order to find healing for your future. And you see your need for grace. And the same way when we fast, we are in a sense embracing our broken humanness, our sin. That, that the fasting doesn't save you, but it does give clarity to what's really at stake. Shows the weaknesses that we all have, our, our need for grace. It, it, it shows it with great clarity in many ways. It, fasting, in a sense that we, we see our need for grace, it's sort of like the Old Testament law in the same way shows our need for grace. A lot of people today will say, isn't Christianity all about rules? You don't follow the rules of the Old Testament, so therefore they're abolished. That's not actually true. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. I did not come to nullify the law. Not a jot or a tittle of that law will, be, will pass away. He's saying, I am the embodiment of the fulfillment of that law. But we are not under the law anymore. Romans 3, the Apostle Paul writes with great clarity. I'm going to, justify, I'm going to uh, summarize this. Where he's saying, we're not, we're not justified by the law any longer because the law cannot save us. Paul would say, I was blameless in the law. I followed all of it perfectly, and yet my righteousness was like rags before God. There's no number of religious hoops you can jump through to be righteous with God, to be right with God. So... Paul would go on to say, because of the sin we've inherited through Adam, as Romans 5 would tell us, on through the human lineage, we can't do enough. For As he says in Romans 3, we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So there's nothing we can do. So the prayer that the tax collector prayed earlier, that's the prayer. Saying, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The law shows us that we can't fulfill it. Paul would say, and he's right. Now, he's not saying the law is useless. When I say law, I mean like Levitical ceremonial law and Ten Commandments. He's saying it's not useless because without it, I wouldn't see my need for Jesus. So when people say, isn't religion just a bunch of rules? You can say, well, it used to be, and we were really sucked at it. So now we throw ourselves on the mercy of God, right? So come join the club. We're all in the same boat. The law's purpose is to show us our need for grace in the same way, almost like a mirror, in the same way fasting does the same thing for our lives. It shows us sometimes you need to hug the cactus. Sometimes you need to. And you can let go of those old dependencies that maybe you have. Then thirdly, the why is to be empty of self. Now, world religions all want to be empty of self. That's, that's across the board. But the difference of Christianity and the rest is that we have a man, the Son of God, who actually did it. And he rose from the dead. He fully emptied himself. This stands in stark contrast with our culture that is on the constant quest of consumption. We, we, we're very uncomfortable being empty. We don't like being hungry. 
We don't like, we don't like going without. And there's a lot of anxiety to constantly quell that from within. We're always grabbing for the next thing. People show up full and they want to leave full. Now in our culture, there's, there's good places to show up empty and leave full. Like the grocery store or the gas station or a great Chinese buffet. <laughs> it's a great place to show up empty and leave full. Other places it's good to show up full and leave empty. If you're an athlete, you want to leave it all on the floor. If you're a performer in theater, you want to leave it all on the stage. If you're giving of yourself sacrificially for somebody else, you want to give of yourself so that they will live. So that there's a good thing to leave empty. Now what about the Christian and the church? What's better, to show up empty and expect to be filled or to show up full and leave empty? Maybe it depends on the day you're having. Maybe it depends on how the Holy Spirit's leading you. Sometimes it could be both. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus interacts with a guy that we call the rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler is a wealthy young man, and he comes to Jesus, and he says to him, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question of the ages, really. It's a good question. And Jesus' answer is, follow the Ten Commandments. And the, the young man, he's probably Jewish, he says, I've already done that. I've done this since I was a little boy. Then Jesus takes to the next level and he says to him, well, showing love for him, the scripture says, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. Now, Jesus isn't saying wealth is bad. But for this guy, wealth was bad. And for me, it could be a different thing that Jesus puts his finger on. But for him, he's saying, sell all you have and follow me. And the man goes away sad because he had a lot of property and possessions. Jesus is essentially saying to him, you're asking me to fill you with something that you're not making room for. You're asking me for something. There's no space in your life for it. So until you make that space, until you free up those dependencies, you're not going to get what you're looking for. He's telling him to fast from his stuff. He's essentially saying, God can't fill what's already full. How can God, how can I pour into you what there's no room for? Henry Nouwen, the Catholic priest, beautifully summarizes this, as he always does where he says, emptiness and fullness at first seem complete opposites. But in the spiritual life, they are not. In the spiritual life, we find the fulfillment of our deepest desires by becoming empty for God. We must empty the cups of our lives completely to be able to receive the fullness of life from God. So you might be seeing where I'm going with this. Let's say this cup is us, the water is, is you and me. We could say, oh, I'll give you a little bit, God. I'll pour out a little bit for you. There's a little bit left here and there where it's convenient. Maybe I'll do a little bit more. Maybe sometimes it'll fill back up again. It's hard. It's hard. God shows us grace, and that's good. Are you a, a half cup empty person or a half full? There's a third way. It's a practical person. They, they say, uh, are you going to drink that? That was a really bad joke. I'm sorry. But when Jesus looks at the cups of our lives, I don't think he's just saying, I, I want 
I don't, Jesus is saying, I, I, want, I want all of it. I want all of the cup. But I can't fill what there's no room for. So if you pour it all out for me, if you lay down your dependence on other things and, and give it all to me, I'm not there to ruin your fun. I'm there to heal your heart. He wants your heart. He wants to know your heart. That's what carries on from this life into the next. I want to know you. I want to feel you. I want to fill the temple of your of the temple of who you are with my spirit. But you've got to let me in. Revelation 3:20. I stand at the door and I knock. And and those who will open the door, I will come in and I will share a meal with them and we will be one with them. But until that cup is empty, can you receive what he wants to give you? He wants to give you himself. But the cup has to be poured out. And the beautiful part of all of this is that he... This is, there are so many reasons why Jesus is the truth. The fact that he did everything he said. He fully practiced all of it. So when he's saying to us, let go of your life to lose it, or, and then you'll find your life, Jesus did the exact same thing. When he took the cup on that night of communion, on that night of Passover... He said, this is my blood poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sin. Even Philippians tells us that that Jesus poured out himself for us all. He became like a slave so that you and I would know the eternal life of God. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. He poured it all out for you. He emptied himself fully of his privilege so that we might know the righteousness of God. Friend, this is the good news. This is the gospel in its essence. That I have come not just to save sinners, but to raise them to new life. And then when he took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, you have thought of this bread as the lamb of the Passover, but in reality, this is now my body. I have come and been broken so that you would know eternal life. When you do this, remember me. Remember me when you do it. Because I am there in the midst of you when you do. Remember my sacrifice. That he has poured out the cup of himself. Embodying a slave. For you. And for me. And that we receive it by faith. It's by faith. The righteous will live by faith. And then when we receive him by faith... Yeah, yeah. Unseen, you can't see it. In the spiritual world. But it's the truth. It's the truth. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this gift of your body and your blood. That as you poured out yourself, you did it so that we would live. Holy Spirit, pour out your Holy Spirit, on these gifts of bread and wine and make them be for us the body and blood of Christ. In these next few moments as we worship, God, maybe as we weep, sometimes weeping comes before the joy, and that's okay. As we pray, as we get real and say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pour my cup out. And I ask you by faith to fill me. To fill me with your Holy Spirit. This is what you want to do, God. This is is what you want for all people. 
So God, use this time, I pray, in the next few moments. We love you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.